Hello there, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Tap Calf Transmissions, the only Star Wars podcast, which also covers all topics socks. I am Corey, joined once again by another guest to replace Justin while he is away on his uh, paternity leave, which I don't know how long he gets paternity leave in the podcasting industry. We have really good benefits on the podcast, but taking his place is his editor and the person in charge of Professor X, the Marvel Clips channel that Eck runs, is Zach. Zach, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great, except for the fact that I had to cram this not very good book in a week. Okay, so this week, I know at the end of last week, I said we'd be talking about uh, we'd be talking about some Marvel Star Wars comics, but I asked Zach after finishing the podcast with Ilkin last week. Is there something else you'd want to talk about? Do you want to do the Marvel stuff still, or do you want to do a book? And so Zach chose uh, that we'd be talking about today's subject, which is Heir to the Jedi, which has the most romance novel. I don't have a physical copy of it. Well, thank no, I don't have a physical copy of it. Okay, you do. Perfect. It is the most romance novel looking cover, so the audio listeners won't be able to, to see the wonderful cover you just held up, but it's like Luke chest stuck out he's going for the 70s novel cover look and very it is, fabio yeah. yeah so it it's it's very uh it's it's a got a lot of romance going on in it but this is actually one of the one of the earliest new canon books and it was technically written expected to be a legends novel so yeah, there's a lot of legends references be, it was supposed to be like the third in a trilogy that never capped off where each book was looking at a different um character it was like there was a leia novel a han novel and this was supposed to tie them all together yeah so the the han novel was uh scoundrels i believe i think it was scoundrels but Sounds uh, right. i'm not sure what the leia novel was and i'm not sure if the leia novel actually came out but I think it was, and it turned into a duology on the legend side. And then uh, we have this as kind of a standalone canon novel about Luke between episodes four and five. So the Leia novel is called Razor's Edge. That, okay, so that did that come out. And the Han novel is Honor Among Thieves. Okay, it's not Scoundrels. Okay, so technically not a trilogy anymore, but really they all still go together. Uh but yeah, so this this novel is set like the other ones between episode four and five, kind of as a character focused novel for each one of the main trio. And uh, so one of the weird parts of the book is that it's set in it's done in first person perspective from Luke's perspective. And he's dealing with some very uh, I guess he's what, 22 during the book, I think, because I think it's two years after Yavin. So 21, 22. I, I couldn't really get a good idea of when this was supposed to be set it's either immediately after yavin or like right before empire strikes back because they make references to hoth yeah they i think he does explicitly say it's been like two years since he's been doing this and he's like dealing with the expectations after yavin where like the entire galaxy seems to know it's luke skywalker who blew up the death star uh and luke is still coming into his jedi powers he really doesn't have many powers yet and the uh the author's note at the end is basically he Kevin Hearn, the author, had watched Empire Strikes Back and he'd always been wondering when Luke pulls the lightsaber to him, when and how did he learn how to do that? And he's basically writing the novel explaining how Luke developed some of those uh, earlier powers. But it it reads a lot to me. And I don't know if, uh, if you'll feel the same, but it reads almost like an RPG situation where there's like four fetch quests before he gets to do the main story quest. He had to level up his ship his mount before he's able to get in there. No, that's pretty accurate. The way I was describing it to my girlfriend, who's not a Star Wars fan, was it was like somebody had five different ideas for Star Wars books, and then they had to fit them all into this book. Yeah, like there's, I'd say three or four distinct sections, like the last two sections tie together. The first two sections are kind of like their own little individual missions. And it's not a long book, like it's 250 pages. So you kind of spend the first, uh, I'd say, I think it's about the first 100 pages doing two separate jobs. 
And it kind of feels like, oh, well, are we just doing like five or six different ones of these? And that's just going to be what the book is. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty aimless in the beginning. Yeah, it. I, I was enjoying it by the end, actually. But the first the first 150 pages for me were were tough. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I, I like the idea of like the, the second mission he goes on where it's like the sci fi horror element of it. But I think mm. it would be interesting if that was an entire book on its own. Yeah. And it didn't involve character, a character that we know is going to make it out of the situation. Yeah, like there's there's almost a Forrest Gump quality to it where we're just seeing Luke go through all these situations where like. There's some interesting parts to each of the situations, but it's never really given enough focus. Uh, but I guess we'll uh, we'll go through kind of part by part and we'll maybe divide it into those four sections. But before we get into that, uh, there was a big piece of Star Wars news that came out this week in that we have an Ahsoka trailer. So did you have any I don't want to go too deep into it, but any overall thoughts about what you saw from Ahsoka? I think it looks pretty awesome. Um... I, I I think I'm still kind of iffy on the way Thrawn looks in live action. I, I just, there's certain parts of it where it's like, yeah, they do have to make a blue-skinned, red-eyed person work in live action, but also, I don't know, it, it just looks slightly off to me. I, I wonder if it will go away as we get more footage of him, but what yeah. do you think about that? Like, the the shot from the back looks really good. The shot from yeah, the front is just so such too. a limited amount to work off of. It's not like the best angle to begin with, because like part of it is just everyone thinks he looks like Elon Musk in that shot. Yeah, which is like that's going to take a lot of the focus and make it look weird no matter what. But I feel like once we have a bit more of him in action, it won't be. I think it'll be fine. I, I do think there's a bit of exaggerated quality to a lot of the costumes in it, like any of the. Uh, any of the like rank insignia and all that they're they're they feel like they're bigger and a bit simpler than they'd be in other shows and i think part of that is trying to translate a bit of the rebel style into live action so i've seen some people talk about like oh this looks so cheap or uh, how could they not get the costumes right but i think part of it is an intentional move of like this is kind of a follow-up on rebels and it looks less gritty on the costume side than say mandalorian does yeah, I agree with that. My um, I actually wrote an X clip video about the Rebels comparison and how Sabine's mural looks exactly like it did in the show. And my takeaway was basically that it's kind of like Rebels, the designs and everything was Sabine's telling of the story, which is why her style bleeds through to that show mm -hmm. and why there can be differences in the way it looks. Yeah, I actually so I saw a lot of people that were annoyed by the mural. And like saying, oh, the Rebels one looks so much better. How did they mess this up? It's like it I, looks exactly yeah, the same. It, there's like there's differences, but it's basically the the office meme. Like it's the same fucking picture. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So I, I don't know. But I thought it looked really cool. It's nice to see the E-Wing in live action in a way that isn't going to get uh, canceled for not even thinking about the fact that he was just pointing at Sabine's ass. Like it, it really we've talked about this on, on the show before, but like you were you're in the the chat that he sent it in. He he sent the picture. He's like Corey, do you do you see what I see? And like it's clear. Like looking back now, it's obvious that it's the two of us looking at this picture with the E wing in the background, and then it's just Sabine's ass is front and center. Yeah. But both of us were just like, that's the E wing. Of course, this picture is of the E wing. But when Eck that... put that up, I started seeing people being like, yeah, Eck is just clickbaiting. He looked. He just wanted the the butt shot up front. It's like no, we just. I think that morning was like the day after a drunk stream, too. So I woke yeah. up, hung over, looked at it, and I was like, wow, that's a very Charlie-esque photo to put in the group chat right now. It, it Literally, <laughs> neither of us even slightly were thinking about that. It's just like, it, it's the E-Wing. <laughs> no, it, looking back at it, yeah, I should have figured that. But yeah, I, I really like that sequence that we get, like that brief little, it's almost like a Top Gun sequence with yeah. Sabine riding the yeah and I, I really like that idea where it's um you know we get the the homages to to films from the 80s in Ahsoka the same way we got them in um the original trilogy and I just yeah. really like that 
that that's continuing because I think it's been absent for a little while. I mean, Mandalorian does have some of the spaghetti web Western homages thrown in the here and there, but I don't know. I'm just I'm always as a film nerd. I'm really glad to see those things in there. Yeah, like I do kind of wonder if we'll see Ahsoka flying one of the E-wings because she's wearing one of the flight suits, like mm-hmm. the New Republic flight suits in one of the shots. So. Uh, I don't know if she's going to be chasing Sabine. Like something's happened between them off screen between Rebels and Ahsoka. There's, this is like attempt two at bringing them together. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing what that turns into. Yeah, uh, I think it's going to be really. Do you think we're going to get a lot of flashbacks to that period in between? I don't know if we'll get a lot of flashbacks to it because it seems like there's going to be enough to be doing in the modern day. So like maybe a couple scenes. Once we've established that Ahsoka and her had been together, like I think that's kind of what the the line that Sabine says about like you were hard on me is gonna kind of set up for. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking we would probably get like a spin-off novel at some point that yeah. details that period. Yeah, that's probably a safe bet. But speaking of spin-off novels, we have a spin-off novel from Star Wars A New Hope called Heir to the Jedi, and the kind of set up what's going on a bit here already it's like luke is going out and doing some fetch quests for the rebel alliance the first one he's doing is going to rhodia and he is going to be trying to set up some contacts with a with some like rhodian weapon smugglers slash manufacturers that the alliance can buy from uh so he goes through a few planets like he goes to lonic first and frees a shuttle that is going to turn out to be pretty important before getting to rhodia uh, but it is a, it's a quick sequence of just like 50 pages that covers the entire Rhodia trip. So a few things happen in it, but uh, what was your impression of the book once you were in the thick of the Rhodians? So I first of all, I thought it was just a weird mission to send Luke on. It seemed yeah. much more like a Leia mission. So there, after I got through that, I did like all the detailing of Luke exploring uh, the, the Jedi... Um, tomb on Rhodia. I, I thought that was like really interesting. And those are my favorite aspects of the book is Luke actually learning about the Jedi Order. Yeah, there there really isn't that much of him learning about it. And I, I thought like setting up with uh with Hulik and Luke learning about Hulik, uh, which is the the Rhodian Jedi whose tomb he gets to visit. I, I thought we were setting up for that being a bigger focus of uh of the kinds of things we'd be doing in the book. But mm-hmm. it's really more about like Luke coming to terms with how he can use his power. So this is he gets a lightsaber like he just grave robs a lightsaber from this Rodian Jedi. He got permission. <laughs> I mean, he got permission from someone, not from Hulik. Yeah. Like Hulik's only niece who still cares about him is basically what it is. But like after after we read Scourge last week, me and Ilkin, I was thinking like, oh, there's there's a Rodian heavy couple weeks, especially if. We're dealing with like this trip to Rhodia and setting up Rhodian contacts with the Rebel Alliance, uh, but then he he leaves and that doesn't really come back. Yeah, it, it like I said, it's like four or five different books all put into the three hundred pages that Heir to the Jedi actually is. Which also, what do you think of that title? I mean. It's like a it's, an heir to the empire reference, I guess, but like yeah, it, it's pretty on the nose. Yeah, I I don't know it. It didn't give me the be- like that plus the the cover didn't give me the best impression going in, and then like the opening parts of the book were, it just felt kind of haphazard going in. So yeah. like it, none of those were were helping my impression in the earlier in the early goings. Did you see the Brazilian cover of the book? I did not. And it is a this... thousand times better than what we got. What's uh, what's it look like? What's the difference? Um, it, the it's well, it's a completely different cover. It first of all, it actually shows Nakari on there. Um, okay, so that's where her art's from. Because I did yes. see a picture of Nakari, which is the the woman who's going to be going with Luke on one of his adventures. Oh, that's actually that's not the picture that I saw. I guess it's there must be another. There, I think right? there's another one because you also see um, the other character that they end up. Drusil? 
yes, you see them on the cover also. Which, interesting character design there. What, you're not a fan of the given? Well, it it's just kind of the ghost face mask from Scream. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, just, it's that's all how right. given have always been. Have you Yeah. They're they're a long standing they're a long standing Star Wars staple. The and I so I actually really liked how the given were handled in this. Like I, I enjoyed Drusel as a character. I think like having the math communication is just weird enough. Like it's a good balance for a Star Wars alien where the math is a core part of how they communicate and interact with the world. And I don't care if it makes sense or not, but like, it's something that's sufficiently alien while still not shoehorning it into a type of personality. Like you can Mm -hmm. have them communicating this different way, seeing the world in this different way, but it's not like this is the species that's polite or this is the smuggler species. Like sure. They're the math species, but Drusel could still be the evil kind of math species or the good kind of math species. You can have a personality on top of that. It reminds me of a Star Trek thing. More, I get that vibe from them. Do you? Because I feel like Star Trek's yeah. usually worse for that. Of like, this is the this the planet of like the Red Hat people or whatever the the thing is. Where like they're all the same. I just mean like that the quirk, I guess. Okay. Where it's like it, it's like this this group of individuals uses math as like this form of not only communication but also trust yeah like in some ways it's similar to what i think is the the worst episode i've seen of star trek the darmak and jalad thing which is apparently my most cancelable take because whenever i say i hate that episode any star trek fans that i talk to or am friends with are like how could you dislike it and i have fucking that episode but yeah but i i feel like it's not as limiting for the rest of the characters as their characteristics That's yeah why I, like. I i also listened to the audiobook and i think the voice that they give them is horrible i feel it, like it's... if you're doing a given voice you make some sort of sort of like sucking sound and like are you gonna talk about like i mean you're not far off Okay, so I yeah. should I should just do some Star Wars audiobooks. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly what I'm telling you. Cool. All right. Well, we get the we get the contacts with the Rodians. They've got their weapon stores set up. Uh, the rebels are going to be able to buy from them. And I don't does the does that come up again? Like they they don't successfully manage to buy from the Rodians. No, they just bring all the that... contacts back to the rebels, and he plays with the lightsaber a little bit. But even the lightsaber yeah. doesn't really do much. The the big moment that that deals with going to Rodia is when Luke intervenes in the um firefight when he gets out of hyperspace at Lalonic. Yeah. Yeah, so like that happens before even getting to Rodia. So like he yeah. uses the the Kupafon freighter, which sets up a a situation where the Kupafon feel really really grateful. Luke is getting back to the fleet at Ordo Platonia, which is in the Pantora system. So the first he's apologizing, saying like, "Oh, I, I didn't mean to compromise my mission, but I couldn't let them just die." And Leia and Akbar, who were just like running around together the whole time, are like, no, it it's it's great, buddy. They're really grateful. They've given us some information about a bounty on this great S-tier slicer, uh, Drusel Barafon or Beferin, not Barafon. And we're gonna we're gonna rescue her. So we're gonna rescue her, we're gonna reunite her with her family on this planet that has a bunch of giant evil squids and stuff that even Akbar is afraid of, and it'll be great. But if they're going to do that, they need money and supplies, and the way they're going to get this is Luke is teaming up with Nakari Kellen, who he flirted with a bit at the start of the book before going off on his mission because he's been using her ship, the Desert Jewel, and they're going to go visit her father first because her father is loaded and will be able to give them some, some money that the Rebel Alliance doesn't have sitting around. Yeah, but, and then that's how we get into our first side quest. Well, technically second, second side yeah. quest. This, but, this um, is the one you really liked of... I liked conceptually. I didn't like oh, the actual okay. execution I'm of sorry, it. I, I didn't want to... 
want to oversell this for you then. Well, so it has the uh, skull borers in there. Yes. The, which the guests, I think is, I think. yes. No, that would, the, the guess is the one on Rhodia. It's the, it's something else. It, it, I don't know if they named them. Bexian skull borers yeah. is what they end up calling them. But um, Real original. I think it's a, yeah, it's, it's super original. But I, I think it's like an interesting idea where they could have taken like just two brand new characters and had them explore in like a survival horror setting. But with it being Luke, you just I don't feel that sense of dread that something bad is going to happen to him. And Akari, you just met. I, I think they kind of toy with the idea that maybe she's not totally loyal to the rebellion yet. Yeah, I, they didn't I get into that. her backstory yet, did they? Not really. Well, we we kind of did because we get to we get to Pasher before we go to Fex. So dealing with her dad, you get a bit more of her backstory. And I think I think the stuff with her mom isn't explained yet. Yeah, I thought that happened afterwards. Yeah, I think that's when they're when they're noodling on Dinon. Yeah, but there there is a bit that comes with her dad where like her dad seems kind of a dick but then he says nice things afterwards and does like the he does so we're from the same area and i feel like i know a lot of small business owners that act exactly like this guy does only like slightly less cartoonishly like they'll say something nice but also just like ream into you for like no reason because they think it's funny and then yeah like throw a bunch of money at stuff and it's like okay i i had a boss at a convenience store who was this exact character yeah. except you know replace the rude things he says with racial slurs and just like oh this guy's a fucking asshole but uh i guess we're just gonna deal with it okay yeah, yeah and i feel like both of the the rich characters like there's this guy and then later on on Coupafon, there's azure nesson they're kind of the same guy like they, they feel like the same character i don't know it, it might just be that the characterization in this book as a whole is kind of weak where a lot yeah. of people kind of feel interchangeable and like they have similar personalities, which isn't great when it's a first person Luke book where it doesn't always feel like Luke. Sometimes it, it feels kind of like, yeah, Luke. Sometimes you it can doesn't. swap out a lot of the, the pronouns I think with he, or instead of I just, it, it seems like it was done very last minute. Like, Oh, we're going to make this the, first star wars novel that's written in the first person from luke's perspective like just to have something to throw on the the back of the book basically i I don't know if i got that feeling from it like i feel like it's it's kind of important to what they're doing of like I, i can see coming up with the concept of the book of like exploring how luke feels about the force and all that and thinking that first person is the best way to do that and I think that makes sense. But yeah. I think the way that Luke talks and thinks and his characterization as far as that goes doesn't hold up a lot. Like There's certain things where it's like, okay, you needed someone to say this thing, and now Luke is saying this thing or thinking this way, and it doesn't feel like it's him. And part of that is with the, like, how Leia's not trusting Nakari, how Luke isn't trusting Drusel, and that never really comes into it very much. Like, there's some slightly tense conversations that the characters have but like it, it just feels like it's a distraction whenever it came up it's like okay this isn't what this book is really about yeah like we have to have some conflict really quick yeah and it just i, I never really got the the feeling that it was going to go anywhere so it's like okay why are we why are we wasting our time on this yeah i like, think it could have been interesting if nakari well what did you think of nakari as a character I thought she was fun, but then, like, it, it was a good sounding board for Luke, but it also was like, okay, so you invented this female character who mostly just exists to be, like, interested in Luke romantically and then not be too upset when she finds out that Luke is interested in Leia and then she explodes. Yeah, it, it's. I just didn't think they had any chemistry too, really. Yeah, like she doesn't the, seem like the kind of person that would really be a good match for Luke, but I guess like it's just Mary's like, oh, we both but... we both grew up on desert planets, so we're we're meant to be together, I guess. Yeah, they have the some of the shared trauma with like 
their moms and stuff. But like the the romantic connection seems to, I guess like they're both what, 22, probably, I was saying. And I don't know, you just stick them alone together and they think each other are attractive enough. And then that's kind of just what their hormones are doing. But it. I, yeah, I agree. I do like the backstory that her mother was a musician, though, that wrote a uh, Vader protest song. Yeah. Or even like a Vader parody song. It's, I wasn't yeah, clear I, if I, it was a, I, a parody or a protest. Or both. I but. took I took a note of um what it was called. The song is called Vader's Many Prosthetic Parts. Okay, yeah. So yeah, Vader didn't take kindly to that. Sent her off to the spice mines of Kessel. She did, as far as we know. Yeah, she's been there for ten years, I think she yeah. says. Like somewhere in that ballpark, and Luke explicitly says, like, oh yeah, nobody lasts more than one year, so that's got to be See, a... I don't think that's true. I think a lot of people last a lot longer than that. Yeah, as far as we know, her mother is still alive. Yeah, but she's not anymore, so there's nothing yeah. anyone can do about that. Like, it just felt like, okay, you're setting up this relationship and then you got to kill her off because now this character only exists to be a love interest for Luke and a source of funding for Luke's adventure. Where, like, some well, of the, the interactions between them could be fun, but... I don't uh, mind the noodle interaction. I think that one is is yeah. all right. Yeah, but then he does that basically with Drusel as well. Yeah, and it's a her. lot more. It's much more successful. Yeah, but he'd already my... had that foundation. So they're on the Denon. They're on Denon getting their noodles uh, after they they've come back from from Fex and they've they've got their funding from her mom. And so they got the ship set up. They're going to Denon because there's a noodle shop they need to go to to get the information about how to get Drusel and pick up Drusel. Uh, and they, of course, they eat the noodles as well. And Luke's first forced telekinesis is shifting a noodle with his eyes closed. Towards I was confident she was lying to him the Me first too. time I read this. I was like, she's just, she's blowing smoke up his ass right now. Yeah. But also, it, it gives me my favorite line in the book, which is the cheesiest line of dialogue. Despite the loss of a few degrees of heat, those were the best noodles I've ever had. <laughs> there were some funny lines in here, like uh, the when they're setting up the passphrase to get in at the hotel on... That's on Coupafon, I think. Yeah, because they're waiting for their ship to be fixed on Coupafon. Yes. And... So Drusel's staying in their hotel room while uh, Luke and Nakari are out exploring and looking for like ISB agents that might be hunting for them. So they want to set up a passphrase at the hotel room, and we get an equation that uh, if you do first outside, inside, last, turns into I plan the word plan, but foiled. So it a nice grade twelve or grade 10 math joke in there which i showed dana because she, she likes math she thought it was hilarious and i told her given we're cute so she was like oh is this just like my, my new favorite star wars species do i have a favorite star wars species now and then i showed her a picture of given and she did not think they were cute so i, I kind of ruined it for her well at least the joke was entertaining enough yeah <laughs> so points for the joke but was there which... i guess uh sorry go ahead no, I was just going to say, which, like, to be fair, I, I feel I haven't read any of this author, this author's other, uh, any of his other novels or anything like that. But based on the fact that this is the only Star Wars novel that he's done, I, I take that as a sign that Lucas wasn't too impressed with it. Because this is one of the first story group novels, isn't it? Right when they established that. Uh, not really. Like the story groups always been around or they'd been around. Well, like, while, I'm sorry, like when the... Disney like reestablished it and they were like, because well, like I don't think the story is... group really changed between the buyout and what had been around before. It was one of the first ones that came out after the the soft reboot. But I feel like the the authors they went with afterwards were definitely different. But I don't know that it's necessarily because of any negative feelings about this book that he didn't get another one. There's a lot of authors from around that point that like some of the confusion from like switching over, whereas 
probably impacting some of the publishing process, but I don't know if it just, maybe it was a change in direction, but they're, they tended to go with even less established authors afterwards. And I think Kevin Hearn had done a few of his own other novels. Like he was, I don't think like he's doesn't seem to have been as big a name as like Stackpole or whatever, but he had his own series going on. And a lot of the books that came out soon after tended to be far less established than that. But I guess that's a fair point because the authors that, were successful after that seemed to continue working like Claudia Gray is still writing Star Wars novels at this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I have to look at the other books that came out around that time because there were like the James Lucino one that was his last Star Wars book. That came, no, because he did was Rogue that one Tarkin. Yeah, Tarkin. Came oh, out, yeah, he did. To be he did a, Catalyst also. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it really was just a, a timing thing rather than a people really didn't like this book situation. I don't think it was a particularly okay. popular book, but I don't think it was like negatively received. So because it, it's kind of like Scourge where they're both in a similar period towards the end of the Legends run, uh, except this came out like towards the start of the canon run because it was over the course of the the reboot. Uh, we did kind of skip over a bit of facts, but they really, it's all of these little segments leading up to the end part are, are so short that it's hard to say there was much more going on there than like a skull borer came. Yeah, that's, that's pretty fair. I, I felt like it was, it, there were so many like food related jokes where it was just yeah. like, okay, I get it. You're having a lot of fun writing like Star Wars names into food. Just keep going. Yeah, I I do think there was some like some clever writing here. It's just with some of the jokes, it felt like the characters who were saying them wouldn't be the ones to say them. It's just they're kind of there for their own sake, which I don't hate. But it when I was already feeling questionable about Luke in the book, in a Luke book, like if you think about other Star Wars books that are like character studies, which this is almost trying to be with your traitors and your I Jedi's like, I don't think this ends up stacking up quite as well to them. And it's kind of unfair to compare like character studies to in a star Wars book to what Matthew Stover does. Cause his are pretty much always the best, but it still, it still felt like it was a bit lacking for me. And I think part of it is that it almost feels like a young reader novel or a young adult novel just with the themes of like Luke Getty, like finding himself, it's finding yourself and then like a romance subplot where that's of that's kind of the thing that separates a young adult novel from just a standard novel. It's not like it's easier or harder to read. It's just those themes get addressed a lot more. And then you have to kind of take it out of that. You have the skull borers and you have heads exploding when they get sniped. Like those kind of feel jarring because the rest of the book kind of feels like this young adult novel or young reader novel. And then the heads explode. It, it's written that way, too. A lot of the dialogue is very young reader. I I, I felt. I don't know. I, I just I couldn't really enjoy the book because of that, though, where it was like a lot of the writing just seemed to. To not be as interesting as other mm -hmm. books like. Like you said, I wanted I expected it to kind of be a character study when I first read it. And based on the earlier parts, like the interesting parts to me is Luke learning about the Jedi. And it's such a small part of the book where I feel like they could have really expanded on that and had like one mission where they had Nakari and Luke going off. And maybe that would be their connection rather than the shared trauma of losing a parent to Vader. Yeah. Like, they do kind of use that to explore the dark side a little bit. And I do kind of like what's done with that there, where they're so sure, like, with the conversation with Luke and Nakari, I think part of it is Luke being slightly 
it, it seems like it's too soon for Luke to be in a position where he'd be like, oh, I could learn from Vader. I understand. I agree with where he's coming from. It's just the way he expresses it doesn't seem like the way that Luke would express it in the moment. Of like, yeah. I could learn from him to see uh, what I could have. I, I feel like it should have been more, I could learn from him to see what he went, went wrong for him and how I could avoid it rather than like empathizing with him in the way that he seems to here. And because like Nikari, it's very like post episode five. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Like Nakari is like, no, he he sucks. Kill him. He sucks. And he sucks. But also he's terrible and we can never make those decisions. And I feel like Luke's reaction kind of takes away from what we get later on, where if Luke had been more like I could never be in that position, Vader is just evil and there's nothing that I could learn from him. Then coming around to it more after Nakari's death of like, now I understand what Yoda meant by the dark side seducing you, where he was, when Nakari gets blown up by the Aqualish with the grenade launcher, he's barely able to contain his rage. And he starts to understand more of like, okay, this is what, uh, or sorry, Ben, not Yoda. Uh, this is what Ben was talking about, but he was kind of already in that position. So yeah, he didn't really especially, grow as much from that. Especially when his only exposure exposure to Vader at this point is he saw him kill Ben. He knows he killed his father, and he nearly shot him down when he was about to blow up the Death Star. Like yeah, they just he didn't have enough of a relationship. I don't know this. I guess if this is set after the comic run from around this era, then they did have the, a few interactions beforehand. But I, I, I do really like the idea, like you were talking about, how he was trying to figure out what it meant to be seduced by the dark side, because he only really has that brief little bit about what Ben was telling him. And... I, I think you're right where it should have been something that was explained towards the end of the novel rather than when it was, which I think is like the midway point, maybe a little beyond the midway point. Yeah, like he's already telling Nakari that he's in the position that you'd expect him to be in after Nakari dies of like, now I understand how I can fall prey to this. Because like Luke, even in episode five, like the I'll never join you thing, like he's coming at that from more of a like I can never fall for this situation than he has in say episode six where he understands he's susceptible to it when he's like hacking away at Vader because he threatened Leia and we kind of get a bit of that journey here that I I wouldn't have a problem with it happening both here and with the episode five six thing because you don't learn a lesson once in your life like there's never any like self-improvement you're on it's never like oh, I know this about myself and now I'm just never going to have that problem again. But the way he's talking about it, he like, he's already understanding it. So within the context of the book, it's going from point A to point A because he's already got it covered. I I really, I, I agree with you. But also the, um, the rage he feels when Nakari dies, like he never really, I feel like the two of them, all, while they don't connect like, through dialogue or through any kind of interaction that they have in the novel. It's also over a period of what, like a week where he's already got these very strong romantic feelings. And I like the idea of that kind of kind of becoming a part of his, his fascination with the dark side almost where it's you, you kind of get those hints of like the, the naive Anakin relationship with, uh, Padme. Yeah, I think it is a fair bit longer than that, but like it doesn't really change your point too much. Or like they, I think they're even on just uh, Upo for a week or two. But it, it's just a very high school mentality, yeah. which is is, I guess that's kind of the idea of Luke is he is very naive to the broader world that isn't moisture farming at this point yeah so they leave fex they've got their their ship set up uh and they they go to pantora well first they go to pasher to get their money from her dad and then they go to pantora to meet back up with the fleet talk to Leia and akbar about their their plans for the mission 
and this is I think this is when Leia is kind of concerned about what's going on with uh, with Nakari, and it it is it does kind of highlight this and the whole romantic subplot thing it does kind of highlight one of the weirder parts of Star Wars novels from this period, where like Luke is clearly into Leia in Episode Four and the start of Episode Five, and we know that. You have to acknowledge it when you're doing a a story in this period that is romance focused. But we also already know that Luke and Leia, Lucas decided were going to be siblings it, after all this had happened. Yeah. And it just makes the whole thing so uncomfortable. It's like I I I don't I don't want to read the this this tension between them and I don't want to like the the talk between like Nakari and Luke of like, you know, you're good enough for her. You're good for me. It's like, okay, you're talking about his sister. You guys don't know this, but I know this and I'm reading this book. Yeah, it would have been more. I think if they would have made it a point to be like, I don't know, almost like Luke just kind of let it go at this point, because it's very clear that Luke knows that Leia is interested in Han. Yeah. I think they could have done something about that where it was like oh yeah I had a thing for her but you know time passed and they could have cut that off right here yeah but they didn't uh so so yeah we get to from Pantora they go to is it Exodine where they come across the uh the immobilizer I don't have the name of the plant they were on in my notes because either Exodine when they're leaving or getting there but yes it is actually I think it's it's Nathri that they're going to, that they go That's through right. on the way out. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So in Exodine, they they find the immobilizer four eighteen, uh, and this is where we get some backstory on the immobilizer cruiser. We get some particle and energy shield talk. We get uh, a, a neat little space battle before they they jump away. But uh, this is what this breaks their engine. That's why they need to take up the. Uh, the favor that they'd gotten from Sackett, where she's like, go here, talk about my noodles in space, and then someone from, from Kupo will will help you. Which, it's hard for me to read and look at the name Kupo, because it just looks like Kobo from Jedi Survivor, but like the the bee is just falling over. Yeah, so, no, I, I got that. I started playing Jedi Survivor, like, seriously in the past week or so, so that's where my mind was yeah. the entire time. Yeah, so that that was bothering me the whole time. I was like, not Kobo, Kupo, Kupo. But, uh, but yeah, so Azur Nessin doesn't really want to help them because it's dangerous. They're fugitives. They've not been very quiet about any of this. Uh, but they, they're able to convince him, like, look, we found a planet that will kill you. It's very epic. Now do you want to fix our ship? And he's like, how can I, how can I say no to that? Is I'm apparently interested in biotech now, despite that not seeming to be really what my business is about. So I'm gonna send a crew to this planet. Like these these fucking billionaires. Like, thank God hey, they this needed guy gets to have a reason. <laughs> they needed to have a reason yeah. for that part being in the book earlier. Yeah. Like, thank God this guy gets shot in the head because he was gonna send some of those employees to that planet. So like, it makes sense that they'd betray him. Look, like, it's either. Tell the Empire that he's harboring the Jedi or get sent to a planet with something called a skull borer on it. It's not going there. I just love the way that Luke was totally just willing to let that happen, too. Yeah, he he's they do like, not care about what yeah. happens to this dude or their employees. Which also in the in the audiobook, they give him a very thick French accent. The the uh, Azurnesin? Yes. Hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it was very... I was like, that's such a weird choice. I, I don't understand why they did that. But uh, it, it, it happens. And the entire time... Their entire conversation in the audiobook, which is read by Mark Thompson, who I think the, he does like a lot of most the of Star me. Wars audiobooks. And I think most of his impressions are pretty good, but whenever he has to create a voice, it's always very hit or miss. This was a big miss with with Azur Nessin. I am going to make a new voice. Oh. Yeah, so the... That, that happens in uh-huh. the audio. 
Yes. Oh my god. Well, Drusel is uh, very eager to get to her family at Amarinth. Uh, or Amareth. I don't think there's an N, but I think I keep adding an N. But so they 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 need their engine fixed after the escape from the immobilizer. They're taking a week or two. The employees betray them, but they they hog tie them in Luke's hotel room. And it's it's very unclear what the time scale on this actually is. Yeah. That's what was making me think it was only a couple of days because they were totally willing to just leave these two in the hotel room the entire time. Yeah. But they also said they'd have free run of it and they'd have comfy beds. So it's did they it, actually it's okay. get untied? I don't know, because they were tied back to back. But they, they do manage to escape the planet after Azur's head gets blown off. Uh, and they have to do some creative hyperspace lane development when this is going on. They're, they're really making hyperspace lanes willy-nilly throughout this book. Luke does it with R2. R2 seems to have, like, droid superpowers to be able to do it rather than just, like, plotting courses like a regular droid doing, like, small local jumps. But they do manage yeah, to get through. Oh, sorry. He leans on R2 quite a bit in this yeah. book. R2 is basically magical. In, in Yep. But uh, they get to Amrith finally, and unfortunately there are bounty hunters who had followed Bren Durlin's Brelian Corvette and Drusel's family here. So rather than any of them helping Luke on the way in, uh, they're all just on the ground. They'd probably lose on their own, but uh, Bren is even like, yeah, we figured that you would handle these guys, so we just hung back. Like, no, Nakari's dead because... No one helped in even like the ground battle. No one got into contact with anyone there. You could have done something. You could have warned them, like broadcast something on the way in. Instead, now Luke, Nakari and Drusel fight six bounty hunter ships worth of bounty hunters. Kill them all, but Nakari does explode. And we finish with Drusel reunited with her family, able to give the Rebel Alliance some communications codes and Tell everyone what's going on with the Empire. So Luke has learned a lot about love. He's learned a lot about grenade launchers and Drusel's with her family. So how how emotionally did you feel at this point? Were you fulfilled? No, I wasn't. I was like, I mean, like, I'm glad Drusel reunited with her family. But Luke just being like, hey, here's your daughter's body and then taking off again is probably one of the funniest things that he does here. Yeah, it's just it's so heartless, but I don't know it, it. I they couldn't have really done much more with it. Yeah, like Luke comes to terms with this so fast. Yeah, like it's like now I will never think the about it again. Of like, I'm going to remember the good times. <laughs> and then the credits roll. But. So I, mean, I think I think the last part of this book should have expanded out a little beyond the two chapters that it, it's contained in. I think they could have done a little bit more with the, the actual battle. Yeah, like I I like the the second half of the book a fair bit, but I do think the very ending felt a little compressed where like especially in a book that's supposed to be looking at how Luke feels about his place as a Jedi, uh learning to use the force uh his romantic development and it's just like okay that's done yeah it's it's very rushed at the end yeah. but like i think that builds into the idea where i feel like this was more than one book and they they compressed every possible star wars idea they could into this one mm -hmm. book well maybe that's why they never did another one because they just didn't feel the need just to like, they told the other stories already <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But I don't know. I I don't really I don't love this book, but I I I agree the interesting parts are intriguing enough, but it slogs in the middle so much. Well, and if, it's it's a bad beginning, too. If you had to put a letter grade on this on this book and your feelings for it, we have S tier is the best, A B C D and then F. Where are you? I'd give I'd put it in D. You're giving it a D? Yeah. I think for me it's uh it's getting a C. The it recovers enough in the second half, even if it doesn't handle everything super well, I think 
it's I think it's uh better than a lot of the ones that we put on D. I so I did enjoy the second half, but the first half I was really struggling to not keep putting it down. Like I read pretty fast, but I got to like page ten and I was like, okay, I'm gonna put this down. Got to page twenty in the next session, I was like, okay, I'll I'll get to the rest later. Thirty then the next time it was like okay i got to page 60 and then once i got past that i started getting more into it but it was it was a little bit tough to get through so i think c is where i'm putting it i think i did the same thing where i read the first 10 pages put it down and then i turned on the audiobook and listened to it at double speed and then i picked it back up again when i felt like it was getting interesting yeah yeah uh so yeah i not my favorite, not my least favorite. Some cool ideas in there. Uh, some of the some interesting character interactions. I really like Drusil. Uh, but that that is the heir to the Jedi. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Very everyone. mid. Very mid book. Yep. Uh, I believe Ilkin did use the words aggressively mid in uh, in the chat. So yeah. Speaking of that, uh, so there will be two more episodes this month of the podcast where I am going to be away on the 3rd and the 10th of August. Or actually, no, not the 10th, just the 3rd of August. So I won't be able to do an episode then. Uh, hopefully we'll have Justin back for the 10th. I'll figure something out. If not, uh, I have a few ideas for people to reach out to or books or topics to go over. But for the next two weeks... We're going to be going over some books that we've missed that have come out relatively recently. Ilkin will be joining the podcast once again for Convergence and Cataclysm, the two adult phase two High Republic novels. So next week is Convergence. That's the, yeah. Next week, Convergence. Week after that, Cataclysm. Ilkin will be joining for both. But thank you, Zach, for joining me for this, this novel. Thank you for picking it. I'm sure Justin is very happy that, that you picked this one for this week. Yeah. Thank you for having me on and justifying refreshing my memory on this book. All right. Well, Zach and I will be playing some Empire at War with Charlie and presumably Ilkin uh, over on YouTube.com slash Corey Loses, as well as YouTube.com slash X2, E-C-K-S-T-O-O. -O. I wonder if I can I redirect. I, I think I might be able to, to redirect. Do I have that enabled on this channel? I don't actually know if I do. But that's, uh, that's annoying. Either way, thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for watching. Remember, get your convergences in for next week. Any questions you have about convergence as well. And uh, see you then. Goodbye. Bye.